This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For the past 20 years, I've been working in the apparel industry, sourcing, buying, and printing t-shirts for my clients. The one brand I return to every time is Bella Canvas. They cover all the bases, style, sustainability, color selection, and wearability. These really are the softest shirts available. The best news is they cut their fabric in Los Angeles. And for any of us that know the apparel industry, we know what a big deal this is. Whether you're looking for t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, tanks, or long sleeves, Bella Canvas really does have you covered. The best news is that Bella Canvas now has a retail line available at shop.bellacanvas.com, where you can find more information about this amazing company and discover online exclusives. Use the code DBI2021 at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. Limit one per customer. Bella Canvas really did fuel the t-shirt movement. Be different. Be Bella Canvas. After nearly 30 years in prison, Eric Riddick tonight is a free man. Just happy to see everybody. I'm happy to be here to enjoy my family. And uh, this is amazing. It's a little overwhelming. Riddick, now 51, still claims he had nothing to do with the murder of his best friend, William Catlett, in November of 1991 in Philadelphia. Did you kill Will Catlett? Lester first talked to Riddick from prison three years ago after hearing about his case from rapper Meek Mill after his release from prison. A guy I used to play uh, ping pong with every day, Eric Riddick. He had 27 years, and I always was interested in that. Like, man, how you still getting up every day? Knowing you've been in here for 27 years in this one building, never leaving out this building and shit. So uh, he was just explaining his story to me. And one day he got a piece of mail from, like, the Superior Court judges saying that, yeah, we know most likely you're innocent. Innocence Project estimates there's 20 to 120,000 individuals currently serving time in U.S. prisons for crimes they did not commit. Until May 28, 2021, Eric Riddick was one of those people. We hear time and time again about corruption, bad cops, and dirty dealings in the district attorney's office in Philadelphia in the 1980s and 1990s. Death by Incarceration will continue to investigate these stories as we hear of them. Eric is just one example of many of these cases. We're very, very grateful he came on the show. Your call to action this week is to call your local district attorney's office and find out if they have a conviction integrity unit. If not, ask why. If so, please bring a case that you know of to their attention. These are important steps in removing the stigma of incarceration and continuing the change that we see as possible. Thanks again to Eric, and thank you very much for listening to this compelling interview. My name is Eric Riddick. In 1991, a man named William Catlett lost his life in the streets of Philadelphia. He was a friend of mine. I was subsequently falsely accused by one individual that I never called the witness because 
he didn't witness me do anything. He lied on me for whatever reason. I went to trial, and because of the defects in the criminal justice system, the truth determining process was tainted by so many elements, ineffective assistance of counsel, prosecutorial misconduct, abuse of discretion by the judge, all the things that when they work improperly, a lie or, or false accusation is unable to stand the scrutiny of that type of truth determining process. But because those defects are so saturated in that system, you know, a lie, and like, like my case, like many other cases, was able to gain traction and, and manifest into a wrongful conviction, which in my case lasted for 30 years, approximately. I fought every day, but mainly it was the people, it was the grassroots, it was my family. We built the momentum up whereas though, you know, the truth prevailed. Okay, so for 30 years, which we probably did 25 together around there. I yeah. don't know how, how much of that time we did together. You never gave up. You always been involved with program. You always been involved trying to mentor the younger guys. However, what kept Eric ready, alive, spiritually, mentally, knowing that day to day routine of the prison system, get up for count, strip, being stripped naked, being harassed, placing solitary confinement, going through this horrific journey, right? This normally preserved as a punitive tool for people that really commit a crime. In this case, you was innocent. How do an innocent man or woman survive right. this system knowing they innocent and not get lost in that system and become part of that fabric? Well, for me, for me, even when I was younger, immature, into the nonsense, I was always a fighter. So it wasn't, it was difficult, but it wasn't that difficult. It was, it was me just understanding the need to like modify what was already in me. You know, I was actually offended because again, the guy that got, the man, the brother that got killed was, first of all, was a good individual. I was really offended <laughs> that I was accused of taking his life. So that spark, that spark, and that that inflamed that fight in me, that passion in me. I mean, from day one, the first time I was accused, when the first time I heard I was accused, I literally first first feeling that I had, I was truly offended. Not that I was an angel out there, but again, that was a friend of mine. So when I walked into the courtroom, I was naive, and I couldn't imagine that I would be convicted of a crime that I didn't commit. But I was naive to the fact that the defects was so deep and so systemic and, and so much on a higher level than my understanding at that time that I literally walked in, put my head in the noose, unaware that it was a noose, and I was judicially lynched, right, in court, period. I was judicially lynched in court. But what kept me strong when that happened to me, I remember listening to my lawyer. And he going in. I used to go back to the holding cage. I'd be like, my lawyer, he he, he going in, right? Because I didn't understand the language of the law. So I'm thinking that he's he's competent. He's saying powerful statements and all these things because I didn't know the law. And once I realized that he wasn't saying nothing, he was complicit. Then in there, when I got convicted, I said, I'm going to learn everything because you can only do what you know and you're vulnerable to everything that you don't know. 
So as you witness, once we both realize that, we start learning everything that we can get our hands on so that we wouldn't become victims of our ignorance of something. Period. Whatever it was, whether it's the law, whether it's politics, whether it's a false sense of spirituality, uh, a lack of culture, identity, we start studying things. And, and, and that was strengthening our minds to be able to sustain through the oppressive, dehumanizing atmosphere of prison. And that's how we survived. Not me, you also. You came out worth something because we start picking up books, whether it was me telling you, Schwab, read this, or you come and telling me, read this. We were strengthening our minds. And that's the key right there. When you when you in any situation, one of the main life lessons is if it's not growing, it's decaying. That's the same thing with our minds. If we would have been running around playing basketball exclusively, sporting play exclusively, and I say exclusively because that's necessary too, you know, having that moment. But when you do that exclusively, your mind starts to deteriorate and eventually you you're not gonna be able to withstand the dehumanizing elements of prison, especially a wrongful conviction. For me, it was all it was always, I want to liberate myself, get home to my family, but I want to prove that this is a lie. My conviction is a wrongful conviction. And what I what I did, and this is one, one of the reasons why it was somewhat, it was very difficult, but it was also easy at the same time. Early on, I've already, I had already ruled out giving up. I already took that out of the the toolbox or the box of consideration that was already gone so even under the most vicious administrative oppression I didn't have the option of giving up because I already discarded that like 30 years ago you know what I mean it's certain things I, you and I we both did we said we're not going to do certain things even under these conditions that we've seen many people do I mean so the people that's listening to us because what we try to do is bring people into the prison system through other people's stories. Break down a little bit what certain things mean, like the type of things that we decided. Even though we're serving life sentences, we're not gonna engage in that type of shit. Break it down in the most simple form, what, what we mean, like, we're not gonna do certain things. Because I want people to understand that when you're in the prison system, it's so easy, so easy to get caught up with the prison mentality that if, if you not guilty, it make you feel like, well, you know, I must have did something to be here because I'm here. Well, let me say this. And so let's keep this. We, we're going to be real, right? Because this is the type of podcast where we have to be real. We wasn't perfect. Me and you, you and I, we we just stood shoulder to shoulder, right? And our immaturity, you know, and, and the drama and the stuff that's going on. Well, not only that, we was part of the nation of Islam. And you know, and I know that being part of the nation of Islam in the prison system, it, it, it's a red flag automatic anyway, right? How, however, we manage, we manage not only to take the teachings of Elijah Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan to our benefit, we managed to shift, to shift our certain cell blocks and certain individuals around that they couldn't do to certain people what they were doing to other people. Right, you right, know, right, and, and, right. But, but you break it down. This is your time, brother. You break it down. Okay. Time here. Well, let me say this because this is important based on your in regard and in, in, in context to death by incarceration, brothers that still serving that. When we was wrecking out, when we was when we was wrecking out on some nonsense, those it was those lifers. The same thing that's going on in the streets 
initially we was we was doing this while me and you you had a knife i had a knife we going to y'all we addressing situations before someone 99 percent of the time was a, a rehabilitated lifer right that came to us that was able to speak our language the same thing that's needed out here today right they spoke our language so they made us say why why are we gonna go stab this guy they gave us another alternative but they spoke it in a language that wasn't corny it was still, it still had swag to it. So it, it was appealing to our mindset at that time. And that's important to say before we get to the Nation Islam Park that we was we was out of control too until we ran across those stable elements in the form of lifers, rehabilitated lifers that don't have parole, right? They, they are the buried solutions that society is looking for because it worked with us. You want a podcast now because of a lifer. That's simple. You could have came out here and start killing shit. I could have came out here and start doing crazy stuff, wanting to take off with 58th Street and all that. But it was the lifers that gave us a different perception of who we really was. And then that translated sometimes into the teachers of the Amalajah Muhammad that gave us the discipline to be able to stay away from the things that we felt was against our principles as men, right? We didn't have no desire to hurt each other no more when these lifers brought this, this new perception of who we can become to us. So ain't no question, it was a lot of things. It was a lot of mind traps in prison. You know what I mean? And, and coupled with frustration, you know what I mean? And, and administrative oppression. We had to go through a refinement process. I asked about that first art, that, that piece of painting that you did. Me and you did that first painting, we was probably high as hell. <laughs> but... That, but those, I always ask about the reminisce on the moments because it's important for us when we in these on these platforms to explain that our position is not mm. theoretical. We have taken note of our own transformation. Therefore, it's authentic. Our position is authentic. We don't have to debate that with someone that may have read something mm. in the book. We are the book. The thing is, those things in prison, the prison for us was like, it, it, was, it was a fire. It either, was either going to burn you up or it's going to purify you, right? Or I always say the cell can be either one of two things, a tomb where the dead reside or a womb where human transformation take place. And that's and we the end result of that. But we have seen many burn up. We've seen Mike, we've seen Mike, Mike, Mike Gibbs come home, individuals came home, but they, they didn't take advantage of what we took advantage mm -hmm. of. Not that they didn't want to, they didn't run across the individual that could speak their language clear enough to make them understand that they was worth living a better life in prison and out of prison. You understand what I'm saying? So That's right. us embracing the teachings of the Nation of Islam, we soldiers by nature as men. Women also, but as men, we soldiers by nature. So when you in a, literally you in a conflict when you judicially lynched by the courts or you in prison or you in that environment, so if you're in a war-like situation, you have to have some level of militancy with you. You know, they, they attempt to vilify that word as if it's a bad word or discipline as if, as if it's a bad word. So that means that someone, even out here, someone is benefiting from our, us being undisciplined, who is $45,000 a year every each year when we in prison. So it's, it's not a benefit to some people for us to be mentally stable and disciplined, right? It's not it's not beneficial for us to really go out there and come up with a solution to stop that that violence out there in the streets to some people. So 
our teaching and training taught us to be courageous, even in the face of bureaucracy, powerful bureaucracy that still want to maintain oppressive policies towards certain groups of people. You know, and that's how I survived over the years. You know, I've gained so much support from all different people, black, white, green, blue, the whole nine. Mm. But it's important to know, and I'm not apologetic to nothing, nothing that I have studied and learned. You know, at some point, the world is going to have to take another look at that program, the Nation of Islam, even if they don't embrace it, right? Because it's the Nation of Islam that says this. And just think how simple and powerful this is regarding all the madness that's going on in the community. Everybody coming up with solutions, psychology. The Nation of Islam says one powerful statement. Self-improvement is the basis for community development. When I became Muslim, I was given a, a set of, of principles. Do this, don't do that. When in doubt, don't. Which that's Jesse Burleson, who people here know as Hassani. He's been in prison for 31 years. Hassani is one of the practicing Muslims at Solano Prison and they're part of the millions of people behind bars in the U.S. In fact, the United States has the largest prison population in the world. The more than 2.3 million people it had incarcerated by the end of 2017 were more than any other developed nation. That number includes inmates at federal, state, and county prisons. And it's growing. In a place where your housing, meals, and recreation time is highly constrained by rules, finding a way to practice your faith can be difficult. These inmates have figured out a way to infuse their faith into their sentences. One of the things that started me seeking something different was I was looking at the people that were around me who were older than I was, who had been in prison longer than me, and who had been on that same negative, self-destructive path, and me not being satisfied with what I was seeing in them. And uh, at that time, I started going to religious services. It didn't matter if it was Muslim, Christian, Jewish. I went seeking a better way and I believed in God. So I, I knew that the only way I was going to change was through God. Self-improvement. If you, me, Rasul, Kesey, uh, Roland, you know, if they, if, we, if they put us and dropped us in a, a community that's desolate, right? Us. We're going to reform that community to reflect our mindset if we clean. We're going to GI that community. You know what I mean? Why? Because self-improvement is the basis for community development. That that right there, we, we base all our solution-based policies on that statement right there as the foundation. Then we'll come up with serious solutions. But we got to understand that there's a war out there. It's not, it's a state of emergency. It's not some light problem or situation. And, and if it's a war, when you send people when you can't send politicians in, you got to send those that have been trained to go into that environment. Those that have, have been there before. For example, before I get long, when the, the government, when when little Billy in the rural areas hacked the, hacked the Pentagon computer, right? They hunt him down, they reform his mind to their agenda, and then they send him back in to cyberspace. Yo, I got a question for you, right? Yes. I mean, who was the prosecutor in your case? And let me tell you about this joke, because he came to court last week, right? What's his name? He made a fool. Randolph Williams. Oh, my God. His name popping up lately. And it's the deep part. He came to court and made a fool of himself, right? He made a fool of himself. He came in there, and he tried to justify 
him withholding some exculpatory evidence. And he know that he know the legal concept of Brady. He know that Brady is specific and unambiguous regarding the duty of the prosecution to disclose, period. You know what I mean? Not the evidence that's favorable to him. His, his reason was, well, this firearm that we found, we didn't feel it was, once we tested it, it wasn't conducive to our prosecution. Well, that's not a requirement of Brady. If it's, if it's inculpatory, then it's, it's conducive to your prosecution. But if it's exculpatory, you still have to turn it over, even if it sets your prosecution in a disadvantage. But like I see in the courtroom, DAs have to get back to the principles of their oath of office. Well, your oath of office is not to merely to convict, right, but to seek justice. And and that and even if that means that you don't convict, you exonerate, then so be it. So to the critics, to the critics, you got, because you do know you got some critics, right? Yes, sir. Okay. To the critics, they might say, well, you wasn't really completely exonerated because you took a deal. What is your right. response to that? Because I want people to understand, right, that sometimes we're in a situation where we have to do things to get the heck out of jail. Period. Right. 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 And Kevin right. could attest to this. In my case, in the making of my podcast, they recently discovered a statement, a police statement, that my co-defender admit to pulling the trigger. But they hit that statement for my lawyer. And I didn't even know it existed till we started doing the podcast a few months ago, right? Yeah. And, 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 but but I need I need you to uh, to, to explain to people right that sometimes we've been in jail so long right that it's not a guarantee even if you're innocent that you are going to get exonerated through the district attorney's right. office. So when the opportunity right. come up to bring you home, right, just through that process. Well, let me say this: when you get older, when we get older, we realize that you know this fight that when we fight in these type of fights, we realize that we're not just in it by ourselves. We have family and our family get older. Family members pass away. Our mothers get older, right? And at some point you have to make a decision, right? You have to make a decision. And at the same time, being realistic, I, I commend the DA's office under DA Larry Krasner and um, Patricia Cummins, right? But I understand from a realistic standpoint that they are reversing a process that was stenciled in judicial litigation in, in Pennsylvania DA's office. Krasner said one key sentence. He said the DA, it was a culture of corruption in the DA's office in the police department. When you say something was a culture, that's a process that was ongoing. So being realistic and grounded in teaching that tell us to look at things from a cause and effect standpoint, they, we, 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 not the DA's office, because they part of a movement of dissatisfaction and the people is demanding change based on that dissatisfaction and the DA Larry Krasner is an end result of the people's will to change some stuff right and we reversing the process and, be, and when you reversing something it's going to take time so I understood when I took the plea of no contest right I didn't plead guilty to third degree I planned no contest right I, I did that for a couple of reasons. One, I want to get home to my family. My mother uh, said some very profound things to me. She said, I just want you home. I don't know how long I got left on this planet. That right there made the answer clear to me. 
right? What I had to do had nothing to do. I don't need no finances. I don't want to be compensated. That right there made the decision for me. And it wasn't a difficult decision because I knew what I was going to do once I came home. I knew that that was going to add more fuel to my engine to, to address these defects because I, we shouldn't be in a position to take plea bargains under duress, especially when the evidence is clear. We know that the DA's office don't have get another bite at the apple when they got when they commit prosecution misconduct in the form of a Brady violation to that degree. So it would be double jeopardy to to retry me. But when you make nebulous threats, well, we could drag this out for another two and three years. That's strategically letting you know that listen, either take this plea or we're gonna fight it and, and you're gonna get out eventually. But here's the thing with eventually. Mr. Tommy Parent was possibly about to get out. He's dead now from COVID. Mr. Al Joyner, dead from COVID. Uh, uh, Bobby Sims, dead from COVID. Ponzo, dead from COVID. And many, 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 many more. So sometimes, you know, when the door open and you captain, especially us as soldiers, you know, when, when you locked up and you feel you under wrongful conviction, your whole objective, objective is to get out of prison. But here's the thing. Once, when you have to do that, when you have to plead guilty or plead, take a plea, you obligated now to get, hit the ground running when it comes to getting on the front line as a vanguard, fighting for justice and, and criminal justice reform, right? You got to hit the ground running because now that's further injustice when you have to take a plea under duress, under quiet duress, because the judicial system is still affected by those defects. And I'm not naive to think, one thing about Patricia, she came up and seen me for two and a half hours. And she's as much much change as they they implemented down there, they still dealing with relics in that office, relics of the past. And, and, and people don't understand. They be like, man, she said, and why she don't do this? Why learn? No, they, they, they went into a system that was so systemic, right? That they still dealing with relics of the past inside that office. I am delighted to be here for the announcement of a rather important report called Overturning Convictions and an Era. It's actually a title that came out of a newspaper article, but it cuts to the heart of it, which is that the work of the Philadelphia District Attorney's Conviction Integrity Unit, which is historic and which is an incredible achievement, especially compared to what happened in prior administrations, is not just about the many people who were innocent and who are now out of jail as a result of the CIU's work. It's about <clears throat> the restoration of trust between communi communities that have good reason not to trust prosecutors and have good reason not to trust police. And even the critics, I mean, look at the last election. This is how powerful a lie can become. If someone falls in front of a train down at 30th Street Station and get hit by a train, Larry, his critics is going to blame him for that. If someone dies of COVID tomorrow, they're going to blame Larry Krasner. I mean, they're going to find a way. And, here, and this is why it's important for the people that's listening to be informed, right? The critics of justice 
they play on our ignorance, our, 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 us being naive. And excuse my language, anytime you hear the U.S. US attorney and those critics that still want to maintain some semblance, uh, some semblance of injustice, right? Because they benefit in whatever reason, right? They want to, when they're talking to the people and saying, well, Larry Krasner is soft on crime. Uh, Larry Krasner is this. This is why the murder rate is, 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 is up like it is, right? And they're and they not telling you everywhere all over the world, the murder rate is elevated, right? In Lancaster, it was five murders prior, now it's 10, right? When they do that, they literally, and I want I want the people to hear me on this, and I'm going to say it in the language that's coming to me. They literally trying to mind fuck you. You understand what I'm saying? And don't never allow no one to do that to you. And, a, and the best way to protect yourself from being mind fuck is to become aware of what the hell is going on. Use common sense. How is Larry Krasner responsible for the elevated murder rate in Philadelphia, for example? Just ask yourself basic common sense questions and, 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 and inform yourselves. Yes, we're going to address the violence in the community, but don't allow no, no body of politics to take you in a mind track, you know what I mean, and have you voting against your best interests. We have work to do. Yes, I took a plea. I don't have no regrets. But at the back end, see, I'm going to get vindication on the back end when we continue to witness the change. Someone asked me at one of them interviews, do I want compensation? Because I still, it's still third degree. They still admitted that they was wrong. I said, well, they can keep every dime, right? That they, that they, that they really owe me. Just, just pass a 25 to life parole for life a bill that replicates New York. And I don't want nothing. That'd be cool with me, right? 25 to life, right? And let me say this about that. I plan on doing a documentary for parole for lifers, right? And I, I'm connected with some people in New York. And I'm trying to show how, why in New York, certain urban areas, they're not witnessing the same level of violence in those communities. And this is what people don't realize, partially why. When we all went to prison, we was in the streets. We was the gangsters or whatever. We all went to prison the same time the guys in New York went to prison that was our age. Same gangsters in New York, in those communities. They got rehabilitated and reformed just like us. Mm. But the parole system acted as a human recycling system that recycled that reformed human potential back into the communities. And now those same old gangsters is the state, the pillars of stability in a lot of those communities, right? So they, they, they are experiencing a certain level of peace, not perfect peace, that Philadelphia is not experienced because they fail to realize that the shovel that can dig up that buried treasure of solutions in the form of lifers is called parole for lifers. And here's the thing with 25 to life. When you start fragmenting the lifer bill, right, you open up for equal protection litigation in court, right? And New York understood that. So they took and looked at all the elements and passed the 25 life bill, right? Put it in law. And even the ones that might be incorrigible to the degree they may need to be in jail with 35 life, it is covered by the parole board, right? And and that's not foreclosing the exceptional case with the, the individual that made an exceptional transformation that should be paroled at 25 life. So you're covering all bases when you create one solid life of bill and why not replicate the one that's right across the bridge from us right and at the same time you can when you start 
recycling that level of manpower, right? That you're witnessing myself, Swab, Darnell Drinks, Bobby Harris. These men is the boogeyman concept is is, is now dissipated regarding life. Oh my God, you got life is out of jail, the whole world going in. Well, that's gone now because you got hundreds and hundreds of lifers in the form of juvenile lifers on the streets. And any good that you see in them, they will all tell you to equate that to a lifer that don't that that's, that, that that wasn't a juvenile. So so that it's simple. Don't fragment it, 35, 25, first degree, second degree. Just be civilized and take the example of states that's working, right? And then and, and recycle that human potential back in the community. Because the ones that's doing doing the things like Bobby Harris, mm-hmm. like 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 uh Celine, uh all these is lifeless, right? And then the ones that you don't see, they just living a normal life, going to work every day. And they, their example is just as powerful as Suave's example. Because they they are dispelling the myth of the boogeyman when they going to work every day. Armenius, Armenius Austin. Every day, work. So the thing is, this 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 fight and these issues are all interconnected. So to, uh, 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 before I pass the mic to my partner, right, I say this, right, I say this, that the reason this podcast works, the reason this podcast, it is what it is today, is because Kevin and I, right, even though we come from two different cities, yes, sir. We, we suffer similar situations in the form of incarceration, addiction, I mean, like, I always tell people, right, some people might not want to hear it of me because I'm a little darker, right? But when Kevin tell you, some people might listen. And guess what? It's perfectly clear with me. You know why? Because when that man speak, he's representing me. When I speak, it's almost like you hear each other, right? And this is the reason why death by incarceration is so good. It's so good because I understand that, you know, because of my color, where I come from, I can't get in in certain doors. But when I call Kev, Kev, I need you to call these people. Kev could get in places I can't get in, and I could get in places that Kevin can't get in, right? right. However, right, we we have dealt with a number of victims, victims advocates. What would you say to a victim advocate? They might tell you, like, Eric, I, I, I feel sorry that you had to suffer that injustice, but I don't want a hundred lifers, no matter how much rehabilitation they claim they got, coming out because my loved one is not coming back. Your response will be what? Well, I just was actually, I was just told that recently by um, this sister. She's actually in the military, right? And she wear, her, she wear that flag, she wear her flag proudly. She represents this country proudly, right? And I told her, first of all, we have to look at the conditions, right? I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to every victim, right? Or all aspects, whether you're a victim of a loved one being losing their life or a victim of wrongful convictions or a victim of, you know, excessive sentencing or, or all victims, right? But I told her that she was very animate. She said, well, my, and my baby was killed, right? And I can't forgive. I said, you can forgive. Right, you can forgive. And she, again, she was she was in the military, and she was actually Afrocentric. She's Afrocentric. 
I said, you forgave when you went and you chose, right, to embrace America, right? America, America have, has a history when it comes to our people, right? And we have grown, we have come so far. Nevertheless, the history still exists. Not one death, not two deaths, not three deaths, but over a hundred million of our people died as America grew out of certain practices and policies. And everyone who now patriotically embraces America, right? Which is good, which is cool because we helped build it. But you forgave, you showed the ultimate level of forgiveness. When you when when you when you put the when you put that flag on, you fought and fight for this country, especially as people of color, right? We are the ultimate forgivers when it comes to everybody else. But when it comes to us, and here's the thing, whatever happened with the growth and development of this country, right? Certain things infected us, and you see the end result of that. When anytime you take the knowledge itself from somebody, right? How to be a brother to a brother, and they lose that, right? Then they can become a killer of their own people. Right? Under pressure, under poverty, they don't have the cultural reference to understand how to deal with these pressures rationally. Right? So you see a lot of irrational responses in the community. How do I know this? Brother, we we did it. It's not no myth. This is not theoretical. We are we we talking about things that have happened to us and transformations that have happened to us. While we was frustrated, while we chose violence instead of reason, right? Because we lost those things on our cultural castration. You lose things. When you lose, is listen, everything is connected. We're not blaming, we're not stuck in the past, but sometimes you gotta go back, find out who you really are, right? And then you can say, damn, why are they why, why I thought I was a killer? Why I'm a self-hater? Why I hate people that look like me, right? And that's why I don't have no problem with hurting them when it comes to a solution. Damn, I ain't know I ain't had no, no self-love. You embrace that self-love, it's going to be very hard for you to hurt people that look like you or any people, period. You're going to put a different valuation on human life, right? So then, again, I, I, my heart goes out to all victims, right? But at the end of the day, because I have, I have people in my family that have lost their life, right? And I'm, my wife is sitting right here. She couldn't believe a phone call I made yesterday. She's sitting right here. She said she couldn't believe it. I called the individual that lied on me. I called and she's sitting right here. And she didn't she said, I couldn't believe you did that. And me and him talk. And you know what I told him? He crying and he apologizing. And he said he owed me for the rest of my life. And then I said, the only thing you owe me is to live in your best self. Because at the end of the day, right, who I am today, that's the process that I had to go through for whatever reason. You just was a conduit. You were just a big a pawn in in the creator's plan, right? And me knowing the things I know, it authenticate that. So once upon a time, I, I had some horrible ideas about, some feelings about you, right? And ain't no doubt, that's 30 years. That shit is gone. But I called him. I called him. And that was my exact words. When everything, I, everything's sacred to me. And he couldn't believe it. He started crying on the phone. I said, listen, I'm, a, I'm creating you programs where though I may have to tell the young and listen I know this boy put a bullet in you right but listen at the end of the day we got to stop somewhere we got to stop this I posted a video yesterday on Instagram right that I put together last year 
and I'm showing all the shootings and, and killings, and I got the voice of a Klan member basically thanking. Look, I thank y'all for, for doing our job for us. We ain't got to put the hoods on and come take y'all out, hang y'all. You know? and, and I was illustrating the point. That John got 60,000 views, right? And sometimes you got to speak it like that. You know what I mean? This is what I learned this while, and let me say this before, before I go get along with it. I want to tell you, right? I'm sitting here smiling because <laughs> we, and we, we, did, we started this together, right? I watched your growth and development, bro. You know what I mean? I was the minister. You know what I mean? You know, you used to, you used to secure me going down the walk, you know what I mean? And, and all that. We, we witnessed each other transformation. And I'm proud of you, right? I'm proud of you as a brother that you was able to come out here, man, stay focused, stay true to who you are, right? And that not perfect because you can always have critics. It's nothing personal. That's just the nature of life. That's really the, the element that's going to keep you sharp. But I, I, I appreciate you. And even when you checked me, when I called and I was frustrated because I seen all the murders a couple weeks ago and I called, you know, spazzing, right? Now I could tell the, tell the police commissioner I got to talk to her, right? But that was a passion for me seeing these kids getting killed in the street, right? And, and like, we got to do something. We don't believe in the mystery guy coming to fix what we got to fix for ourselves. But I want to commend you, and I'm proud of you as a brother. And, 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 and you know, I still got I, I still got the picture when we all, we took a picture, suited and booted and all that. I still got the picture. Listen, man, that picture, you got to send that picture to us so we can put it on the promo to promote your episode, right? <laughs> Checker, a longtime partner of my company, Social Imprints, is a sponsor of this podcast. Checker is a fair chance employer and the leading technology company in the background check industry. They're building a fairer future through technology that balances trust, safety, and fairness. A past record should not be a barrier to the pursuit of life and professional successes. Checker helps companies and candidates achieve their goals with products like Assess, Candidate Stories, and help with candidate expungements, among others. To learn more about Checker, these expungement services, or how to become a fair chance employer, go to Checker at Checker.com. Thank you, Checker. We're glad we have you here on the show. Anytime. And, um, but I got a question for Kevin, right? Because Kevin's been through some shit in life too, right? And uh, right. so my question to you, Kevin, is so you can chim in on. Um, when you was going through your addiction, right, was it that type of hate that you had for certain people? Did you develop hate for certain people that now you don't even hate no more because you understand what their addiction is? I mean, because I could equate both of them together. The hate that I speak about and the hate that someone in addiction in the streets, you know, because often we walk through the streets and we see people in addiction and it's a, and it's a bias that a lot of people has told people in addiction. We automatically assume that that person is homeless, that person is this, that person is that, because we don't understand the addiction. You know, do you, if, you know, as a person that's been through it with 23 years of, uh, of clean now, did you ever thought about that, um, um, Kevin? Yeah, well, so a great example of that and what addiction really is is that hate turned inward right you're you're you hate yourself so much that it comes out at other people but you're using at them you know and that, that doesn't make any sense but um there was a guy that used to run around in the mission district here he had a nickname but you know i'll, I'll leave his name out of it i don't know where he is now but i he used to rob like skinny 
addicted white boys like me by knife point. That was like his thing. And he caught me and a friend one day coming out of the McDonald's because we used to use the bathroom there to shoot dope. And he basically held us up with a knife and, and essentially made a strip right there on 16th and Mission, which, you know, was embarrassing enough as it was. But I saw him years later. I had been clean about maybe eight years and my brother was in a rehab in San Francisco and I went to visit him and this guy answers the door and he, you know he's trying to make excuses he's you know he's stuttering and you know because he's in a rehab now you know he's got to act right and I could tell it was kind of all for show you know and at the time I was a little shitty to him now if I saw him again I would say hey man I totally understand your motivations and what made you so angry on the street I get it now but I've had to do the work on myself. That had nothing to do with him at all. Forgiving him had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with me. It doesn't matter if he ever changes. If he's still out there robbing white boys, it doesn't matter. It's up to me to make the change within myself to, to make things better for myself. And, you know, I think what we mistake is our fear turns into hate because we don't understand other people. But when we really dig deep and look at what our actions brought us, we can we can start to understand it. I think one of the things that really came up when you and Eric were talking about the change that you had in prison and, you know, kind of what's happened to you over the years, we're also talking about a system that after you get released is supervising you in Suave's case for life. And so what is it what is it about certain individuals that the system and I'll call it the system, it's not it's not a prosecutor, it's not a cop that's the problem it's the system and nicole helped us see that in an earlier episode right. what is it that makes it that certain men and women need to be supervised for the rest of their lives even though the right. change is obvious when i talk to you guys i know neither one of you were angels no one we talked to was an angel i wasn't an angel nobody was but when we get older we age out of these old behaviors we start to understand the things that motivated us we do that inner work, right? Whether it's spiritual, mental, emotional, you know, whatever it is. But releasing that hate is an inside job, 100% of the time. And but what what is it in this system? And, you know, I was thinking about this the whole time you two were talking. Like, what is it in this system that says, okay, maybe you didn't do what we said you did. We'll let you out, but we're going to continue to watch you for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, and how do we how do we change that part of it, too? I know that's something that that one of the guys that helped get you out is working on right the reform alliance is working on parole and probation change and and so you know how do we get people to understand that change is real change is possible change happens every single day so when you all get out we're not having to to have this extended supervision that is both cruel and unusual and can ruin lives because of technical violations and and, and let me say this cat let me say this and i remember i was home what a week a week, I was home a week before I went back into the prison. Remember that, Eric? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and I went on yeah. the cell block. I went on the cell block, right? And the first person I see was Eric and who else? Mick Mills. Oh, Mick me, Mills. yeah. yeah. Both yeah, of y'all me, were standing yeah. together. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And and, 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 and I was like, damn, look at this stuff here, right? So I am so happy. I'm so glad, man, that that brother kept his word. You know, I'm just happy, man, that that brother 
keep his word. You know, keep his word because the work that they doing are so important to our work that uh, right. at some point, at some point in life, you gonna have to come back with home, man, and share that experience that 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 father and son bond that y'all built. Hey, 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 Swab, listen, and this is how we on the same page, right? I start, I, I started to try to push play on that today, right? I, but, but it was a little too late, but I said in my mind, I'm going to do that, right? And I got to go see him uh, one day this week down in New York, right? <clears throat> and because that story got to be told, right? And the thing is, I didn't give him nothing, nothing different than what you had witnessed me give other young guys. And that's, I'm talking about to a T. And that's the same thing that the, the older lifers gave me. Right? right, and they made right. they, they told me my debt. You don't owe me nothing, and I told me the same thing. When he start understanding the value of what was coming out of my mouth and embracing it, I said, this, "I'm this is yours by birthright. You don't owe me nothing. Right. You understand what I'm saying? You don't owe me nothing. I don't have the right to say you owe me anything. Now everything that he have done for me came out of principle. Even now, you know, even now he want me to come. He been want me to come down since I've been home. Riding me to the sixes gal went." He know the value of them, them principles and that knowledge that the other lifers gave me. And I'm and I told him, because he's gonna be a part of the documentary for life. And I told him, whatever was good that came out of me, I want you to equate it with the lifers that still stuck on those 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 in those, in those prisons, because it's not fair. It's not fair, it's not civilized to continue to bury individuals that's totally rehabilitated and it's really a violation of, uh, uh, it's really a cruel and unusual punishment to provide rehabilitative elements and when, when that element is embraced, right, you restrict the expression of the goodness and the worth that come out of those rehabilitative programs that the DOC provide. And you allow it to be boxed in by an incarceration that have already outserved its worth. What is the need for that? And here's the thing. The people that's listening to policymakers, it's no more, it's no debate about it no more. Our community is in a state of emergency, and y'all, y'all are seeing relics of that good, that solution-based human potential in the life that's out now. So if you really serious legislators about fixing what's in the community, then hire like you hire all the other professionals. Hire the true professionals that's able to go into them fires that has that's fireproof because they've been there, right? Yep. They they've been there, so they you want to hire them massively, saturate the community in Philadelphia with that refined level of human potential that you see in the Swab and Darnell Drinks and, and, and Celine and 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 and, and Abdul Hop and all you know what I mean Chance Lewis, right? Saturate the communities, right? Because they all from southwest, north, west, all over. And and automatically, it's like putting water in oil and oil. It's going it's going to eventually fade the oil out. Just keep applying that water, right? In the form of these rehabilitated men. Period. And here's the thing: for those who don't want to do it for moral reasons, the people that's listening that don't have no moral inclination to do it, and you and you just strictly capital. 
We know that PA don't have no more political stomach to build no more presence. Yet you have all these convictions coming up, mm -hmm. right? You have to let the back end out somehow, right? So if you want to do it for economic reasons in those areas like Middletown, PA, and all that, right? For economic reasons, whatever reason, hopefully you you get it, you 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 catch up on the principle and moral side of things. But you have to find a safe way to to release the pressure from this mass incarceration, unfortunately, because there's a lot of people coming up convicted, right? And that's the safest way. And at the same time, it's addressing the community problems at the same damn time. There's a reason why wise men and all of them is snatching us out when we coming home. They see the value in us. But the legislators, don't, it ain't, don't overthink it, 35 to life for first, it's this second degree, elder, elder bill. Or, no, follow the example that works, New York. It's the closest place to us, right? But you can't forget, Eric. Let's let's not forget that America suffer from a disease called mass incarceration. You know, right. we suffer from that disease for centuries, and we're still trying to create a program. Hopefully, Mr. Kevin McCracken can help in this and help America heal from that disease called mass incarceration. Right? Can't deny that. You can't deny right. that. We could sit here and say we want to be like New York, we want to be like Ohio, the neighboring states. But until we address the addiction that America has with prison, we're still going to have mass incarceration. So until then, it's up to us to educate the community, our people, even if we got to do it one by one. Right? Because right. a lot of the time, in today's time, the people that are committing these injustice and putting our own kind in prison look like you and me. Right. We no longer right. dealing with a system that is obvious. Now it's like you go prosecute your own kind now. And if you don't right. believe me, backtrack to 20, 30 years ago when we came to the district attorney's office to have. Mr. Roger King in there setting black people up, Latino people up, and prosecuting people without no evidence. And today we are dealing with that with that injustice. Because today we have people in prison because of Mr. Roger King. They can't get out, they probably would die in prison. Yeah. Because no matter how many people Larry Krasner is salarate, we never gonna get to the root of the problem. We never gonna we never gonna be able to get everybody that's innocent in prison out. You know, so we the people have a decision to make. Do we create a program to try to heal America from this addiction called incarceration? Or do we just turn our back and say, you know what, I've done my time, I don't want nothing else to do. Me, I decided that I ain't got shit to lose in the world. Nothing. I already lost what I was going to lose, which was 31 years and 85 days of my life. From here now on, I can only gain. And for every brother that we help out, that we speak of, and bringing home, my job is done. So this is why today, I just want to send a shout out, right? As a matter of fact, I'm going on the record. He just became my favorite rapper. 
That is McMills. That is McMills. And I go on the record. He just became my favorite rapper because I witnessed six days after I was released from prison, I was asked to go back into Chester. Right? And I ran into you and McMills. Both of y'all was in Brown. Yeah. Today, both of us are out, including him. Right? Yeah. And for him to come home and just mention your name, right? Sometimes that's what it takes. Somebody with a high social status to speak on the injustice that they've seen. We're not talking about put your money in, get me a lawyer. All I need you to do is when, when they're interviewing you about your injustice, throw my name out there. So Will Smith, Jill Scott, and everybody else that run around calling themselves a proud Philadelphian, where are you at? Where you at? Yeah. Use your yeah. social status to help those that don't have the same economic um, resources that you have to get out of prison. Yeah. And I guarantee you, you will feel much better that night. Mm. Yeah. Ain't no doubt. Hey, let, 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 let me say this real quick. That young brother is serious about, about doing what he's doing, right? And the more he tightened up like we all went through, the better he's going to be able to use his platform, right? But people make the mistake thinking that because he got a platform that he don't got to go through the same maturity that we went through. And, and, and that's not fair, right? But I'm telling you personally, and, and he's going to come on, he's going to come on and he's going to visit Death Bound Conservation Podcast. It's no doubt in my mind. But let me say this too, before we go. I need to stress, yeah, Miss Jennifer, I think her name is Jennifer Williams, the US, active U.S. attorney. I want the people, and I want to send this, say this to her also, be careful. I understand intentions may be good. Maybe good, maybe not. I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt. She had, she implemented a program called All Hands on Deck. Right. Where she bring the feds, CIA, all these people in, right? She's on TV, maybe with good intentions, threatening if you do this with a gun, you're going to get a thousand years in the feds as if that's different from life. I don't know how, right? Nevertheless, let us be, the people that's listening, be careful with implementing a reactionary policy like that, right? Because here's the thing. If you do a sweep and lock everybody up that's in the streets of Philadelphia that's doing wrong, right? Without addressing the cause again, hmm. you got a whole generation that's going to come off the step that's going to fill that void before the handcuffs come off of them other ones in the police station. So be careful when you have power and being reactive instead of proactive. And being proactive meaning to address like the district attorney is echoing. He's echoing something that we have all, always said. We have to go to the root cause of the problem. Poverty definitely has a place, have a, has a place in it. But the environment is just an incubator that cultivates either a good mindset or a negative mindset. So it goes to psychology. It goes to a, it's a mental health issue. So the thing is this, when you hear programs that saying self-improvement is the basis for community development, right? That's beyond the social construct that's acting as an incubator because the incubator can be good if the thoughts, if you address the thought, then the, then the environment is going to cultivate that, that good thought. But if you take an already culturally castrated mind, self-hate, all those things and put in an impoverished community, right, with no resources, then that lack of our, that identity crisis is going to be cultivated negatively and it's going to get worse. And it's going to, it's going to express itself 
in ways that you see on NBC and ABC when you see these murders and all that. So the thing is this, you have to go to the root to be able to neutralize or understand the fruit. I mean, you have to go to the root. The root cause, whether, whether it'll sound ideological or not, like, like Larry Krasner said, you have to address the conditions, you have to address the mindset, it's an ingredient-based solution, right? But we have to be at the table, those that have already went through, all three of us that's on this, on this podcast right now, have an experience that allows us to be identified as the professionals to address the situation that need to be addressed, period. You know what I mean? We, we are the professionals because we went from A to now where we are today. And we have taken note of our transformation. You got to go behind enemy lines in your mind and address any thoughts that make you see yourself other than your true self. You, you're using drugs because you want to nullify the pain that you're not addressing. Abuse, molestation, uh, uh, abandonment, image uh, issues. So enemy lines is in here. Got to go behind enemy lines in your mind and address any thoughts that's not conducive to the growth and development and well-being of yourself. This podcast, especially the name, just the name itself, you know, it, it has to be highlighted. Death by incarceration. Death by incarceration. You know, we was talking about Roger King. You know, they haven't even cracked the cases of Roger King. Spanky and Kevin Bowman and those individuals. These guys is good. I just did 30 years with them. <laughs> These guys ain't had misconducts in 20, 30 years. I mean, the presidents, see, prisoners of society. Is this is any other like any other society? The presidents of the society trust those individuals to run those societies. Lamas, uh, uh East Side, and, and those superintendents, they trust not sporadically but they see the consistent behavior of these individuals. They have watched these individuals stop wars. Spanky, for example, when, 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 when war was about to jump off with, with Puerto Ricans and blacks, right? You had individuals like Spanky, right? Getting with other old heads that's black, meeting, and then coming to resolutions, so therefore nobody got stabbed and died. This is stuff that's going on with individuals who have issues, legitimate issues in court. But don't just, I, I employ, you know, I employ Larry Krasner and them. Don't just look at the issues. Look at the people, right? Because those people, is what, they want to come out there in the Badlands. Spank want to come out there, come out here and join up with Larry Krasner to help address, address the violence down the Badlands. This is what he talking about in prison. Me and, him, me and him talk about this in prison just now. So don't look at it, Mr. Krasner and, and, and the legislators, as if, they just have legal issues. These individuals is needed for further duty once they get released because the people is not going to stop. We're not going to stop pushing for them to get out. Well, but I just want to say to you, I'm, I'm going to say my piece on behalf of death by incarceration as a manage, as, as as one of the managers of, of, uh, of DBI, we want to let you know that whenever you're ready to produce something, we will help you produce it, uh, put it out in our network. Maybe we could do a five-episode series where you could put your idea, your foundation, whatever it is. We are here to really help. So 
if your if Mick Mills serious about want to do some helping, we have a network with about a couple of million people that probably don't listen to his music, but we listen to the message. Yeah. We listen to the message, right? That's a whole different demographic that we bring with the podcast, right? So whenever right. you're ready, man, and you ready, especially you, we would like to produce a mini series on you, um, on what you're trying to do in the community, not so much about your case. Case is out there, people go read it, it's public, but more on what it is that you're trying to do in the community. When you get a chance, go on Death by Incarceration, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere you get your podcast, listen to our to our previous show. Listen to the show we done on Spanky. That's one of the that's one of the cases that we taking on. But I can't say much on the air, but it's some yeah. movement in it. But we would like to do that because we believe, right, it's the 21st century where our platform reaches not only in the city of Philadelphia, but beyond. We in London, we're anywhere in the world you can listen to podcasts. That's where we at. So, yeah, we would like to do that with you. And like I said, uh, we always, and before you even came on the show, we always say we want to work with that brother, man, because I believe yeah. that his voice could reach more people, people combined with what we already have, man, listen, you can make a difference, bro. And like I told yes, you sir. on day one, I'm going to tell you again, right? There's going to be a lot yes, of sir. people out here pulling you from all over the place. Yes, Everybody, sir. I told you that from day yeah. one. I see you whenever you relax, calm down, and the groupies are gone because there's a lot of them out here when people come home. A lot of groupies they think they could get something out of you they think you can open the door for them and what i told you from yeah. day one i see you when all that shit is over we get together right and i still and i and i understand that but i still give you the same advice bro go home spend time with your wife spend time with your family spend time with your mother right because you are one of the lucky ones that still have your mother when you came home. A lot of us didn't. We lost our mothers yeah. in prison. And yeah. spent time with your queen. Because yeah. when you was in there, those two women, including a whole other people, but I'm putting them in the pedestal because those are the first faces you saw when you went to these rallies was your wife, yeah. your mother, your daughter that was out there. Right? So those are the only people you owe anything to. Everybody yeah. else, you don't owe shit to nobody. So if you decide, like, I don't want to talk to you today, or I don't want to say that, or I don't want to do that, you don't owe nothing to the community or to nobody else. But to them three people I just mentioned, you owe the world yeah. to, brother. That's that. Hey, listen, real quick. You know, I'm here, and when you when you you call me anytime, right? But listen, I'm here, Gail King, Gail King. Even Lester, I respect Lester, but see, Death by Incarceration, just podcast, you already know me. I'm not bougie, and I'm not taking that from no other podcast. I mean, no other, no other news outlet. But once the politics get involved, I'm a soldier in the battle. So I'm, in, I'm in the field, man. And this, and, and, and Death by Incarceration podcast, I feel more comfortable here because it's, it's, it's home base. I know it come out of the grassroots. You know, not saying I'm not going to do Lester again and Gail, but this right here, this is what I'm enthused about. Because we never, you know, we never look for the attention from elements that we seeking to 
address and rectify. You mean this is my therapy? I'm enjoying my family. As a matter of fact, right. I'm inviting you back. I'm taking the liberty to invite you back. We're about to have Larry Krasner on the show again, but this topic again is going to be about how the mass me- how the media play a part in mass incarceration. And uh, we would love to have you as part of that conversation. And the reason we want to do this because we understand how the media, the the the, the typical media play a part in mass incarceration not only in your case and that brother's case and how it plays in the politics of the people the goddamn media was putting Carlos Vegas in a pedestal like he was some type of reformer this dude I don't care if he's Hispanic Mexican Puerto Rican this dude was the devil in disguise as a Puerto Rican and I say that I go on record to say that right how I know because I am from the Spanish community in North Philly and I know he's not a goddamn reformer. I'm sorry we took a couple of extra minutes of your time, but this is good. Yeah. No, nah, you ain't taking that. No, sir, bro. This is this, my therapy, you hear me? Well, this is I, my therapy right here. I want to just say that I'm glad you're out. And I think that, Thank you. that your voice is going to be a powerful voice going forward as it was for the men that we're in. And Suave talks about you all the time and helping him make the change and come to a new part of his life. And we all get that, right? I said it yesterday. I spoke at a community event yesterday in in the town that I grew up in. And I said, I don't believe in bootstraps. I believe that there's two things you need. You need to be able to ask for help and and receive that help when it's there being offered. Those are the two things that everybody needs. And and with men like you and like Suave offering the help more and more, we're going to see people change in in our communities. And one of the things that I really wanted to point out when you were talking about all these convictions that are waiting really what we're seeing the system 92 to 90 percent seven percent of convictions are plea bargains right and so what what people are generally doing is they're giving up admissions in exchange for the hope for freedom at some point instead of serving life right. and so what we've got is a, is a culture of people that have been trained to just go ahead and give up the goods on themselves whether they did it or not because they're going to go right. to prison no matter what and it's just a question of how long and so right. can you imagine if we if we were able to get a protest going of everybody that's waiting trial to say, nope, I'm not taking a plea. They'd, we would break the system in about a week. Break yeah. it. The system yeah. would be on its knees begging for relief yeah. because we wouldn't be able to give people the con- their constitutional right to a speedy trial. If they said, right. give me a trial. I'm not waving time. I want my trial now. Right. right. And I'm telling you this, Eric, I'm all- that I know brother Josh is coming home and, and, and within days, right? And I want to yeah. relay this message to him, right? Death by incarceration, we're not only a podcast, we are the, we develop other shows, right? And I know, I know for a fact the message that that brother have, right? So you could tell him when he come home, if he want to get put on, with millions of people could hear his message, tell him to contact us, and we would try to work something out where we could develop a pilot for him, right? And put him out there because I believe that his message, I believe that his yeah. voice, it all matters. And like I said, yeah. we all come from the same place, right? Yeah. We all out here, we all have different resources. If we bring them right. all the resources to one spot, right? And start doing the same thing, same format. Format don't change. Same format we had when we was in the auditorium. Same format right. we had when we was in the chapel. 
right? It's the same format. It's just on a bigger scale. Right. See, in the, in the chapel, yeah. we were speaking to a couple of hundred people. Now you're speaking to a couple of millions of people, right? Yeah. And yes, we would, we, Kevin and I, right, can't wait. I can't wait to Kevin meet Josh because I think he would love Josh, right? And I think Josh would love Kevin, right? And at the same time, we want to work with him and, and, and try to develop something for him. I don't know, a show, a couple of episodes, something that right. would put his message out to the world. Because yes. I believe that his message is powerful uh, and it will save a lot of people's life. Right. I'm definitely trying to put some things together for him. But when I leave, when I get off this interview from this podcast, I got to go downtown, JFK building. I'll secure some office space up there for the emergency response, my foundation, emergency response foundation. The emergency response foundation is also, you know, is, is, a, is you know, is a brother organization that's going to stand on the front line with organizations like the DBI, Death by Incarceration. The people that's listening, they can they can follow me at Free Eric Critic 24 on my Instagram. I'm going to have to change that name because I'm liberated. Thanks nah, 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 nah. The name stayed, bro. Free Eric Reddick, bro. And, 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 and the symbolic about that is you are free. Yeah. Free. Yeah. You know, it's no longer get me out of jail. Free Eric Reddick. This the free man now. So, you know, you got to okay. leave that. You know, <laughs> it's there. Right. It's there. Free. Well, that's the, that's the page. Free Eric Reddick 24. But the, the Emergency Response Foundation, real quick, is a foundation that I created. And it's, it's geared to address the most critical issues regarding whatever issues that we have to address, you know, whether it's criminal justice reform, whether it's mental health, violence prevention, you know, all of those things that I feel was all interconnected, you know. And the Emergency Response Foundation is just another part of a momentum. You know, I said in one of the interviews, we all married to this, to this moment. We married to this moment. You know, and either we're going to be on the sideline or we're going to be on the front line. And we vanguards. We are the vanguards. We on the front line, you know. And it's not difficult and stressful because, again, for us, we soldiers. For us, this is therapy for us. You know, like Kev was saying, he didn't do it for, he didn't forgive that individual for him. This is principles that he developed that, that's part of his, his rehabilitation. You know what I mean? His sobriety. Is forgiven. That's all part of the process. Our duty, us being duty bound, doing what we're doing right now, people don't understand that this is our therapy. I mean, we've been taught and trained for years to do exactly what we're doing. And we choose not to, we choose not treason towards the, towards those orders. We order, right, to, to help our people, to help people, period, to help the world. We order. This is orders that we have. And we choose not to be treasonistic. We choose to be dutiful. So it has nothing to do with comfortability. We're comfortable when we do what we're supposed to do as men, right. the men that we are today. That's so, right. so it's not difficult for us to, it's like easy as breathing. You know, we just got to do it in moderation. You know what I mean? Because our appetite gets big sometimes, bigger than our eyes. That's what you told me a couple weeks ago, right? When I called Vin, right? And I was venting, I vented to you, and I was serious though. I see them kids dying in the streets. I cannot tolerate that. Period. I can't tolerate that. I cannot stomach it. And that's why, you know, I create those programs, the rope program, rehabilitated outreach program in power. You know, you know what I mean? And, and uh, 
Culture Shock Therapy. We're going to do a Skype for Life where we're talking straight to Spank and Kev and all them dudes, right? It's called Skype for Life. We're going to set up with the DOC where though we, we got direct line, you know what I mean, to those individuals in prison, you know? And, uh, you know, fact, the FACT program, Financial Alternative Course Transformation. I can't go tell them young guys, you know, to put the drugs down. The young boys that I've been talking to in prison, that's why I started my clothing line, Legacy Line. I said, if I tell you, put the package down, I got 50 hoodies for you with your logo on it, right? I make them myself, and, and we go straight down the middle. Instead of me giving you a package of coat, I'm going to give you a package of hoodies. You know what I mean? That's why I started my clothing line, to pay my bills and to, and to validate my words. Because if we can't produce shit, the young boys is not really trying to hear nothing. You know what I mean? They got to see that you got the ability to do. And you're not just preaching. You know, you got the ability to do. They see you, they hear you. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, listen, bro. I'm some real stuff. I'm some real stuff, man. We really appreciate this. You know, we be honored, man, to work with yeah. you and do anything with you, man, because we know where your heart is at. And we just yeah. believe that it's time, man, that it's, we change the game, man. Yeah. You know, little by little. It, it took two formerly incarcerated individuals to hijack the Apple feed and Spotify and let them know like, yo, we belong up there with all the rest of y'all shows. With all the rest of y'all shows, we up there. So, you know, so to say that we don't belong, they can't say that no more. You know, because we doing it better than anybody out there with the podcast and I'll stay on that. So, thank you for your time, bro. Thank you for your time. And Yo, listen, again, stay home, take care of your mom, take care of your wife, take care of your daughter, take care of home first. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all, man. Eric. And anytime. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Good to see you as a free man, you know. Yes, sir. Good to see you. Yeah, good to meet you. Good man. to see you as a free man. Next week, we talk to Kimberly Woodson. We were kids in an adult situation, handling adult emotions. Kimberly is a former juvenile lifer from the state of Michigan who served 29 years in prison. It's not fair for someone to be incarcerated, serve 30, 40 years, and come home and still be on parole. After her release in 2017, she founded Redeeming Kimberly to help other returning citizens. It's called Labor of Love, where I invite victims of violent crimes or family members of violent crime to come tell they pain to a audience full of returning citizens like myself. And in turn, if the individual that wronged them is there, they stand up and they apologize. Not only did she turn her life around, she now advocates for and assists others in similar circumstances. Michigan continues to delay hearings and resentence juveniles to life without parole. How is it that in Michigan, different counties are issuing out different sentences for juvenile lifers when the United States Supreme Court ruled that it is our constitution to give out a mandatory life sentence. We discuss this issue and much more. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.